Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, I'm with Dan and Adrian once again, and this is the 11th installment of our series on the Harrison Assessment. Because there are 12 paradoxes that are uh, displayed in the Harrison Assessment, we will be doing 12 of these episodes. We're almost there. This week, we're talking about the power paradox. And if you've been listening for any amount of time, you know that Harrison is a powerful tool that we use to map out both leadership and culture in an organization. The power paradox measures both assertiveness and helpful. Two seemingly opposite ideas, assertive being the tendency to put forth your own needs and helpful the tendency to put forth others' needs. Those seem to contradict each other. When we can be both assertive of our own needs and helpful responding to others' needs, it's a healthy balance. We explore this in depth in this conversation. I loved this conversation. I got so much out of it. I hope you do as well. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian today. Dan, how are you? Good, man. I'm above ground. I'm happy. You're here with us. I'm so I'm so glad you're here. Adrian, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. <laughs> just just uh, wanted to make sure we got you talking with a mouthful of food. That's all. What did you say? What? what? <laughs> Well, my friends, this is our uh, 11th installment out of 12 for the Harrison assessment paradoxes that we've been exploring over the last couple of months. And um, this has just been so, so much fun for me to dissect these in detail and talk about what it is, like what the ways of being, what the rackets are, what the, you know, all of the things that contribute to these preferences. So if you've been listening, you have all the background on the Harrison assessment, you know what it is. If you haven't, Harrison assessment is a tool that we use with our clients that uh, measures preferences and it puts it into 12 paradoxes. And each paradox has two um, traits or preferences that seem to be contradictory, but actually when in balance, uh, it, it's, they're synergistic. They create something that's, that's more balanced, um, and effective. So today we're talking about the power paradox and the power paradox to me. Um, I don't know how you guys feel power paradox for, to me kind of always has felt like an odd name, and maybe you can help me, uh, you know, get some clarification on why it's called the power paradox, the way that they define it. And as usual too, we want to make sure our definitions, we have definitions to our terms that we're using. So the definition they use for power is how you approach helping others and asserting your needs. So given that definition, I still wonder why, why is this called the power paradox or what is the, what is it that we're actually measuring? Well, you're, you're measuring relationship basically. Um, it's interesting because uh, in ancient times, the armies that were most effective were the ones that were most closely related to one another. They were, they, they, there was a synergy around it. And if you think about it, this brings in two very paradoxical terms. One is assertive, which is on the active or vertical axis, which means really the tendency to put forth your own personal wants and needs. And the other one is helpful, which is the tendency to respond to others' needs and assist others and support them in achieving their goals. So 
they sound paradoxical, right? Because, I mean, they sound opposite because I'm going to take care of myself and or I'm going to take care of others. And the idea is to get a balance in there. And if you think about it, if I'm good at helping others, but I'm, you know, if I'm focused on it and I'm really assisting them, but I'm not taking care of my own needs, there's a certain, uh, I'm going to fall behind. I'm not going to get taken care of. And if I'm not going to get taken care of at some point, I'm going to have to get dominating in order to get what I need to stay alive so I can help others. And that that kind of tension, if, if, if I'm over, like in this paradox, if I'm high on helpful, low on self-assertive, I'm self-sacrificing. And a lot of times people will say, well, isn't that, you know, isn't that what we're supposed to do? But the problem is I'm going to fall short of what I need and what it takes to sustain my life. And then I'm going to have to jump, flip, if you will, to dominating. And that dominating is going to, I'm going to vacate the relationship and people are going to go, what, what, what happened? You were so helpful. And now you're like not there and you're completely dominating the time and, and the resource and what, what's up, what's up with you. So it produces this um, lack of trust in the relationship at what point that's going to happen. So, or if I'm highly assertive for my needs and I don't help others, then I'm going to come across as selfish and, mm-hmm. People aren't going to want to work with me. They're not going to want to collaborate with me. So yeah. there's power is the ability to uh, leverage in the best sense of the word relationship because it takes two or better than one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not we're not talking about having power over people, right. over someone or a group of people, or in a situation. We're talking about the power that can exist when there's a balance between being assertive and helpful. Yes. Yeah. That's the power they're measuring because there's all kinds of power. There's, yeah. as you said, you could have positional power, right? You could have power because you're competent, right? I mean, look at what people were willing to put up with from Steve Jobs because he was so competent. Yeah. Right. And, and, and he had to learn this particular paradox in order to take his career to the next level, which he did. He made the breakthrough. He was strong on asserting his own needs, low on helping others. And then later on, he he balanced that out. And of course, he went a lot further, but a lot more power. Yeah. The the balance uh, quadrant, when you look at the grid, you know, you got your your vertical and your horizontal axis and um, the measurement on each determines where you fall. And if you fall into this balanced quadrant, which is the upper right, it's called mutual help. Um, and it's defined as the tendency to pursue solutions that are, that are beneficial for all parties concerned. Yeah. Um, Adrian, as you, uh, as you approach this paradox and, and get to debrief it with clients, uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that you see this one kind of all over the place with leadership. Um, I, I'm, I don't know, but are there any patterns that you see? first of all, in the leaders that you work with in this paradox, and then how do you, how do you typically approach the conversation with them? Well, most people that I work with, um, actually, I mean, I think there's a, a high um, frequency of lower on assertive, longer on helpful, uh, which is exactly where I am. And when I take this and if people are listening and haven't taken this before, 
By the way, if you want to take the Harrison assessment, hit us up. We'll talk yeah, about it. We'll talk to you about it. What's up? <laughs> but that, that surprises me. You're, you're low assertive, high helpful. I am five on assertive and I am set, I'm eight on helpful. Wow. All right. So halfway in the mutual help. Yeah. Which is the top right, which is that balance versatility. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, like how do we help everybody win? How do I get my stuff done? How do you get your stuff done? Um, which I think is the most powerful stance for me. That's just connect uh, to the power conversation. It is most powerful when everybody's needs are on the table and everybody's mutually pursuing success. You know, we know that flow happens in a community that way, um, where there's less self involved. Everybody wants everybody to win. And we, we are most powerful when that's occurring. Um, but it doesn't feel like force, right? It's not like a battle for it's, it's, it is, a, it is, you know, giving for, you know, yeah. so uh, it's more gen- It's a generous stance. So anyway, <clears throat> half the time I'm up in that mutual help half the time, based on my preferences, I'm down in the self-sacrificing. And I think, uh, you know, over time, I'm even more up in the mutual help. Uh, I think historically, you know, I've been in that self-sacrificing quadrant, maybe even most naturally, definitely chosen. I I know it. I mean, I, I, you know, I came there, Dan alluded to it where it's like, aren't you supposed to be helping other people like, you know, servant based leadership and all these types of paradigms that are really, you know, beautiful Mm -hmm. Um, kind of, I think, you know, kind of stand as a counterintuitive idea to the kind of rat race world we're in the doggy dog world is go be go serve go help somebody else and i think that's really great the um and it's needed and if you want to be popular go do that if you want to you know if you want people to like you go do that reality is is that most people that i work with including the guy talking right now because i work with myself as well is if i don't if I don't, if people don't slow down, making sure I'm asserting for what I want and what I need, I will be what I call the resentful butler. You know, like, I'm here to help you. 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 And meanwhile, I'm avoiding myself or not, you know, pursuing what I know is needed for my own life or for my own whatever. And I'll end up blaming you for the experience I'm having. And meanwhile, my life is stilted or stunted. I've, I have stilted it and stunted it, but I've blamed you for it because look, you know, the needs are never stopping over there on my team. You know, I hear this on, here's how, here's one way it shows up with clients. Uh, my schedule's full. People keep filling my schedule. They all want my time. And you know what they do is they go to all those meetings and don't want to be in any of them and probably show up like shit in most of them because they're there because somebody else's needs in their own mind, somebody else's needs determined where they had to show up on Tuesday at 1 p.m. And I'm not there and they're not, you know, they're not going to show up. And so therefore they don't have time to do what, I mean, they've given their time away to do what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah all top leaders, you know, and so therefore, you know, that you can imagine. And if you're a leader, you're listening to this saying, oh shit, yes, I do this. Um, therefore, you know that it's not enough just to go help your people succeed. You actually have a unique voice, a unique challenge, a, a, 
your company needs you to be fully thriving um, and bringing what you bring to the table that is distinct from anybody else. And if you are not, you know, pursuing that relentlessly and standing for that and creating and generating a sacred space, I would even call it for that to happen. Um, then the company, you know, at your core, you might not talk about it for maybe even a quarter, like a few months, you might not know that, Hey, there's these handful of essential things that I, as the CEO, or I, as the leader of the division, or I, as the leader of the team, only I can do. And if I'm putting that off and blaming my people for that, I'm going to be responsible. And that's a sense of dread. Almost everybody I work with when I say, well, what is, what are your essential, what are things you can do that nobody else can do? I'm always asking that question because they ought to get honest about that. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is, what is the, you know, what's unique to you that you either based on your capacity, um, your intellect, um, your position, your authority, like what is only solely yours that you can't share the, the company is crying out for you to do and have you generated enough space and your uh, in your calendar, uh, in the culture of your team that not only you do that, but other people also know that it's their job to make sure you get to do that. You know, so like demanding of your time or needing, even needing your time, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But if people do that and don't see the consequence of that, then that's also immature. You know, you want a mature team that gets this natural, um, I'm thinking like constellation, like this, like this, uh, there's an order. It used to be called respect. Respect. Yeah, that's right. Like I'm thinking about what you're up to as much as what I'm up to and how do those things come together and, and how can we bring them together? And how can I both take care of myself and you because we have mutual concerns for the outcome of something, right? Mm. And that, I think, takes practice and emotional you know, intelligence. Yeah. Reading the other person. It does. When it takes guts too. Yeah, it does. You know, you've got, you're going to potentially ask for what you want. Yeah. It's guts. I like your, your, you know, it's like your, one of the, one of the things you did is like being humble is knowing what you're good at and asking for what you want. There's a humility in that. Right. And it, it takes humility to ask for what you need or want in order to get to be taken care of so that you can help others as well. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there's, there's a way to like authentically help other people and there's a way to inauthentically help other people. Yeah. Well, that's the, it's how to really giving language to it. How, what language opens up an invitation for somebody to understand what I need at the same time as understand what I'm committed to contribute. I noticed my daughter is really good at this. Like she's got the, the ability to say, no, I think if I do that, Dad, then I won't be, you know, that's going to put me in this deficit. And in, in the long run, that's going to hurt us. She's really good at that. And when we were talking about this, and it's great to have that. It's, it's actually, it's uh, kind of tunes me up when somebody else is there. It tunes me up because I'm like you, Adrian, I'm a six and a nine. And so uh, I have the same, almost the same kind of balance in that one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, if, you know, if I'm helping others um, authentically, it's going to come out of a, I would say like maybe even overflow, you know, yeah. like I'm here and I'm giving to you um, out of what I have. Yeah. 
instead of to make up for what I don't have, or yeah. how many of you listening have done this? I know I have, the guy speaking as, I've actually helped others to avoid something, to avoid what's on my plate. I'll actually go play the part of helpful leader. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I've got, I've got an hour, two hours of the day that's available. Who needs a call from me? Instead of I've got an hour and a half, hour, two hours in the day. What's that hard project that, that I'm responsible for that is vulnerable that I should go invest, even if I'm staring at a computer screen for an hour, it's better to do that than go call my mom. You know, and, and so I, we, we all know how we can use others to avoid ourselves. That shows up in this. Yeah. Moral of the story. Don't call your mom. Don't call, your, call mom. your mom. It's a waste of time. Yeah, sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> But here's the, here's the, 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 um, anyway, so even top tier leaders that I work with, um, might be surprising, have a lower assertive score, uh, have, and long unhelpful. Uh, I see this most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. Um, and it, when that occurs, like on my chart, uh, when it occurs, because I've got that gap between, you know, eight on helpful five on assertive, I have that flip into the top left quadrant, which is dominating. Mm-hmm. usually I'm here to help. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. Leave me the F alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like get, would you just shut up? I know I, I told you I'm here for you, but would you just shut up? I can't believe all these people need my help. Jeez. God is so dependent. And one on day me. I'm excited about it. The next day I'm, I'm resentful about it. But this, this relates to the motivation uh, paradox as well. How well I handle stress, how I, deal and take care mm. of myself in, this, in, in stress so that I can be mo- answer the motivation that I have. Right. Mm-hmm. And very similar. They, they're related, but it's interesting. I, I've always liked the, the way that they kind of measure power here because on a team, that's really true. I mean, your willingness to collaborate with other people highly impacts their desire to hear your opinion. That, that, that's how this breaks down. Right. Yeah. So helping somebody does give me an, they'll listen to me, but am I willing, they won't respect me unless I'm willing to ask for what I need as well. Then, because then I'm sending the signal, go ahead, use me. And then I'm the racket is, oh, look at me, look at what I've done. And now you won't even help me. You know, uh, it becomes the shaming game. Like how much I've sacrificed. The martyr is what yeah. comes out of this one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Been there. I've been there. I got that t-shirt. I do, man. I've got this tattooed. Yeah. I mean, how many times I think about the clients that I have too, that this, like they're usually, like you said, Adrian, log on the help. And, and when they run their racket, it's the martyr racket. It's, you know, I do this. Don't these people, you know, appreciate it. Why don't they work as hard as me? I love what Gary Vaynerchuk said in one of his, he says, look, they don't work as hard as you because it's not their business. (laughs) 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 Don't expect that. If you're going to be disappointed, if you're expecting them to act like an owner when you're the owner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's using it, as you were talking about the Adrian, using that helpfulness to avoid, like it's the perfect excuse to not get the next project done, to not have that difficult conversation, to not, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then you're upset at the results that you're getting by not doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, what makes this 
powerful is when you can do either one of these and not forsake responsibility. Mm. You know, you think about this on the teams. I'm even thinking about it in parenting. Um, you know, like I've got, we got a couple of teenagers and, um, you know, I'm, I'm long, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get them to do is to get longer on assertive and that, that they don't like that. You know, oh, yeah, cause like, think about it. It makes sense, right? You're going it's, it's, I see it in young sales guys. They don't want to ask for the sale because if you ask for the sale, they could say no, as if no is yeah. a problem. As if yeah. no is a problem, but it, it is when you're younger and you're all invested in, you know, or you're anxious and you really want that deal. Right. So I don't want to ask because you might say, no, I'm going to try to keep it as ambiguous as possible and work around the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you keep the, if you keep the level of responsibility in, cause you could be, you could be asking for help in two different ways as well. You can be asking for help as a way to avoid responsibility, or you can be asking for help as a way to show responsibility. Or to act on it, right? Like, exactly. Act, right? That's right. So, you know, it's comes up, might come up for listeners in the parenting context. As you think about your kids when they want something um, and, and, you know, do you do it for them? And if, if you're doing it for them, are you actually doing it for them or are you doing it for yourself? Uh, you want to I see. think every parent should be able to relate to that one, huh? Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm actually helping them to save myself from the pain of them maybe failing. Or, yeah. Or, or to keep, or to keep them dependent on me. So I feel, you know, needed and, needed. you know, left alone without them. I've gone through that a few times. Or it's just faster. That's, that's one of my, yeah. or it's just, yeah. <laughs> I think that's like the immediate thing, but behind it are all these little meta conversations. Like yeah. you guys are putting that in the context of parenting, but it's no different in leadership in organizational leadership. It's yeah. no different. I mean, the, the racket of being needed, right? Many leaders operate under the impression that if their people don't need their help constantly, then what's the point of them? They're yeah. now rendered useless. Yeah. So they will purposely, subconsciously maybe, keep their people needing their help, maybe even withholding things from them so oh. that they need them in order to solidify their position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, well it becomes a bottleneck, right? I yes. What, like, well, it's very common where um, a, a leader will control the message that comes out and into their so that they can keep that sense of control and and uh, being needed, right? right on, both by those they report to and by those that report to them. There's a double whammy there, but they just can't figure out why everything stops at them, and they don't have time why to do it's everything. So hard to get anything done around here. <laughs> <laughs> So as I was thinking about this also in the zooming out to the, the organization of the company as a whole, and when is a company the most powerful? I think the, the, a company is most powerful when its objectives or its interest is aligned with the personal interest of the people that are working for the company. Yeah. Right. And, and when that happens, you're right. I mean, that's really powerful. That's where that this happens every day here where, you know, people can ask for what they need that can be negotiated and how that relates to the overall mission 
of either the department of the company, et cetera. And it's, it's interesting to look at this paradox because I think a lot of leaders come into position thinking their job is to protect the interest of the business only. Like I've got to get these people to do their thing in order to make the thing grow because that's what we're here for rather than hey, how do we both uh, promote the interest of the company, its goals, uh, you know, profit, speed, all that kind of stuff and have the personal interest aligned with that and in, in place with that, right? That's like the helpful and like, so you're, you're as a leader, you're asserting for what the company needs, but you're also being helpful to the personal interest of the people on the team. Well, and I would assert if you're making that, that dichotomy, you're actually avoiding something because there's, there's no, there is, that's a false distinction. What's good for the individual ought to be good for the company and vice versa. Yeah. There's probably, I'm probably avoiding the difficult conversations that need to happen to get them aligned. Cause I'm afraid that if I tried to have those conversations, I might not get what little I'm getting from them anyway. And I don't want to go through whatever pain and suffering is required to either get them up or have them leave. Cause maybe leaving is better for them than staying. Yes. Yeah. Right? And, was, and for the organization in the long run. I was having this conversation with one of my clients that I've mentioned before, who has a lot of reports right now, and he's trying to connect with them on a, on a, on a more power, a more effective level that helps them um, get where they want to go and, and be happy there and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I feel like they're part of the team. And one of my questions to him was, well, you know, you have these one-to-ones with each team member every two weeks or so, how much, how many of them do you know why they're here? Like why they're actually here, not because they program and you needed to program and they like the salary and blah, 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 blah. That's not why they're here. That's, that's what they're doing in order to get or create in their life what they think they want or what they've decided they want. And they have for some reason decided this team is the team that's going to help them get what they want in their life. And, and how many? They, and, and you know, I was reading an article by Inc. Magazine the other day that was really powerful about all these people that are quitting at this point, moving on to other jobs. And one of the things they cited in their research was that people during COVID had a chance to stop and think about what was really important to them. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was really important to them is that they do work that they feel is meaningful. And so the next question is, well, what makes work meaningful? And there's, it, I've done some reading on different neuros you know, studies, one of them, one of the main things is the willingness to take responsibility for something to turn out. The more I'm taking responsibility for something to turn out, the deeper the meaning I have in life. So if you think about that at work, if I'm afraid to give somebody responsibility to have it turn out sooner or later, they're going to find it an unrewarding position because mm-hmm. they don't, they're not having to carry the, the weight of the responsibility. So they have to deal with that. And dealing with that is what brings meaning. And part of that meaning might be, is this worth my carrying this weight? Which I'd want to know. Yep. And then what would make it worth it? Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this. Um, I've been in conversations with a handful of clients around contract negotiations. Yeah. Sal- and this shows up here. Um, and everybody I'm working, the people I'm t- thinking about as I'm saying this, you know, very committed people, really, really committed people. 
um, to the organization and to their team, like a deep level of give a shit. Um, and yet don't represent that or own that in the contract conversation. Mm. You know, they don't. And to their own detriment financially. Yeah. Uh, because there's tension to assert. There's tension to say, and I'm connecting this to what you're saying, Dan. I mean, if you were to show up in a conversation, like in a contract negotiation, for example, fully committed, not there to play a game, not there to leverage and like see, you know, you know, uh, play this chess thing. Really, How much can I get versus what do I want? What do I really want? And hey, I really want to be here. And here's why I want to be here. Here's what I can do. Here's what I will do. Count on me for for the next five years. Here's what I've done for the last five. Here's where I'm headed next. I'm not messing around. Bring it on. Well, if you- it's interesting. People will settle for a lot less if they're looking for just what they can get. Yes. And if they stood for what they want. Yeah. What they feel they're worth, what they can show they're worth, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it's riskier to do that. And potentially, I mean, some of the, the, the thinking that had come up in some of the conversation was, I don't want to be seen as fill in the blank. And other people have like entertained other jobs and used that to leverage and like trying to do this kind of fear thing instead of doing what we're talking about, which is to show up fully responsible, show up hyper committed and say, this ought to be, I, actually, I only want you to reward me to the level of my responsibility. Yeah. So let's talk about how you, how you actually reward me for my commitment and my generation of results. So it, instead of saying, well, here's this band and, or here's this salary range and here's the market, blah, blah, blah. That's this quid pro quo, make it fair, which is stupid. It's just not going to work. It's not as effective as here's how much value I will generate. Look at me. I'm taking it on. And I just want to be, comp- I want to be compensated at an equal part of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it, it's yeah. risky. If, if they've, if, sorry, last thing is like, if they've been practicing wanting to be noticed, which is where I think most people wait and say, I want somebody else to assert for me instead of saying, no, 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 I'm going to like do both, you know, really be hyper committed in the helping, like hyper committed to the organization and assert that the organization be hyper committed to me. If there's both and it's a mutual help between parties, mm-hmm. I think your original conversation, Chad, like everybody wins here. I'm going to be the biggest rock star in the organization. If, if you'll allow me and you're going to compensate me because I'm going to set the pace yeah. and, and I'm not joking around. Let's just go do that. You know, like that level of assertiveness is scary for almost all of us, right? Because we might yeah. get rejected. You, yeah. you might get feedback you don't think you've earned. You might find out that that's, I mean, and, and sometimes you can outlead the person that's making that decision. So your assertiveness and clarity can generate some defensiveness from the person that you report to. Fair enough. But yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's good to get that conversation on the table. And if so, great, then let's go talk about that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Dan, I want to, I want to go back. If I could play the tape back, I would. And I don't even, I don't even know the words you said, but it really struck me. I'd love you to add some meat to it. If you're willing is you said something, it was two phrases. You would get more something with what, Oh man, I lost it. And it was just such, I I was, there was a ton of power there, but I wanted to make sure we got it. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Which you, one about you? You, you Dan, you, you said uh, you get more something, something than if you, uh, yeah. do you remember? Again, if you're just going to settle, if you're going to go after what you think you can get, like when Adrian was talking about the games that people play, because we've worked with this, we've played them, where, okay, how much can I get here? Yeah. You're going to get a lot less. You'll get a lot more if you just went in and stood for what you are worth in your eyes, that what value you bring to the table. And, Got it. and that you're going to get a lot more because if you do that, there's no games. You're straight up. This is what, and then you can have a conversation about this is the value I bring. This is the value I believe it has to the organization. And here's what I think it's worth versus, okay, how can I, I got a second job now and I'm going to leverage that to see if I can get them to give me more money. Mm -hmm. That, you know, certainly have a BATNA, but I wouldn't use it. Like I go in, have a BATNA in case they want to, they don't want to give me what I want. And I've got to decide at what level am I willing to stay and what level am I willing to go? And it could be, I might be willing to take a lot less in an organization where I feel I'm making a bigger difference and it's, it's making a bigger difference in the world than, you know, I might, might put up with more there than I would in a place where I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference or I don't get that there's a way for me to make much of a difference. Like those are all the major factors that play in, but you're always going to do better standing in my experience for what matters to you and the difference you can make than trying to get what you can. That's all. The powerful, powerful sales tool too, right? A principle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking as well uh, from conversations with clients is if you're willing and, you know, if you're lower on assertive, it's going to take more of a, uh, it's going to take more energy to go assert yourself. Yeah. Than than if it's natural for you. Right. So um, you might as well do it really well when you do it. So meaning, you know, many times in contract negotiation, just because we're talking about this, um, if I'm honestly asserting then I'm asserting for a future and I'm, I'm committed to that future happening. Now I might be willing. Sometimes I've literally told clients, well, negotiate now for the next time you have this conversation. Yeah. I'm at $220,000. Now I want to get up to 300 and this conversation, sorry, we can't, we're getting to 250. That's great. Just so you know, Next, next year, when we talk, I'll expect the three or what's it. Yeah. And here's the value I'm going to bring and tell it. you I'm worth the three. Yeah. So as long as, you know, let's get around. I want you to hear what I'm expecting. I want you to hear how, what I'm performing into. And I want you to let me know if that's ever going to happen. If that's going to happen next year or not. Are you willing to, you know, cause when I assert for my own needs, it opens up an opportunity for the person that I'm in relationship with to help meet my needs help partner with me, you know, to, to, Hey, can we do this together? All of a sudden you're inviting them into helping solve the issue. And, you know, it's good to know. Most people don't want to have that convo. They want to say, okay, this place sucks. So they only gave me blah, blah, blah more. And then they've got one foot out the door instead of already thinking a year ahead saying, okay, Hey, let's do this this year. I'm with you. I get the cash strap thing. Cool. Um, but you know, here's what I'm up to. Will you, if I perform this way, will you join me there and get them, you know, in that active conversation where they're making some kind of promise to you. Now they might lie to you and, you know, then you can deal with that, but you'll, you know, but you've got an opportunity to go see if they mean what they say. And if they don't mean what they say, then, you know, 
it might be time to move on to a team that wants to live by their word. Um, but you know, assert, if you're going to assert, assert, well, assert deeply, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's all, it's a gift to yourself and it's a gift to, if you're a high performer and you're, if you're listening to this, you probably are. It's a gift to the person. I mean, if you, if you report to someone, it's a gift to them for they know how to retain you. It helps yeah. them think about that, that irony, me asserting what I want helps uh, those who I work with to know what's wanted and needed and to get what conversations got to get up on the table for us to align and, and work best together. Yeah. And if you've not asserted well, and you've been long on helpful, and then, you know, you know, I guess a handful of thoughts simultaneously here. The first off, nobody's ever going to be able to read your mind. <laughs> right. So, you Damn know, it. pay attention. If, if you're not getting what you want, ask yourself the question, have I asked for what I want? And, and, I mean, there's old, an old buddy of mine used to say healthy people ask for what they want. Mm -hmm. It's always convicting. I prefer someone else read my mind. So I don't have to take the vulnerable act of asking for what I want. You know, I prefer them read my mind or just reward me out of nowhere. Um, you know, so asking for what you want is, it can be, is you, there's usually a gap between what you've, what you've been expecting and what you've requested, you know, so there's discipline in that. So if you're frustrated, listening now and you're frustrated um, with not getting what you want, I would invite you to take a look at if where the gap might be between your expectations and your, and your willingness to request. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen this show up. I've been coaching a few uh, hard-driving, successful executive men in their dating experience. And it's been very interesting as I listen to them complain about what, you know, how every woman has fallen short of what it is that they think they want or what they say they want. And also in that conversation, in particular examples or whatever, you know, she didn't give me this. And I will say, well, did you ask her? <laughs> and they say, you know, it typically comes back with some response like, well, if I asked her, then it wouldn't have been as meaningful. Right. And I think there's a little bit of that. I, I go into that racket sometime on our team. Like if, if, if somebody's not noticing what I need, then them, then I'm not needed or that I'm not noticed or that I'm not valued or whatever. And it's total bullshit. No. It doesn't even make any sense. And that's, you know, something I'm learning, something I'm practicing, but Adrian, that just brought up for me is like, it doesn't devalue the exchange if you're asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a way to bestow trust. Yeah. Is to ask for what you want, because then you're actually revealing yourself to the person. Yeah. It's also a way to in invite trust. That's right. Because. If the conversation goes in a place you don't want it to go, that tells you something that's there. You will be able to trust who's there. Yeah. And they'll, in, in whether or not you want to continue to work with them. I, I find so many people, if I'm afraid to hear, I've been there where I don't want to hear the no or don't want to hear the mm. counter, but hearing the counter, the way the counter's made and what it represents in relationship to what I'm there to do tells me a lot about who I'm going to be partnering with. Yeah. I'll never forget my son walked away from a multi-million dollar offer because the way that was countered, he said, dad, if that's how it's happening here, 
imagine what it's going to be like once we're on board. Like you, you can just the environment of the offer, the way the, the environment of the offer tells you a lot about who you're going to be working with. So, yeah. It's powerful stuff. Uh, any final thoughts on eh, powerful pun intended? Um, any, <laughs> any final thoughts on the power, power uh, paradox for you too? Well, I mean, this is where, you know, a lot of the vitality and pain happens in my life right here. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm actively participating in both of these conversations um, and my preference is to, or my, my most natural step is to not think about what I really need. Um, if I'm, if I'm avoiding that, you know, everybody's going to eventually pay the price for that. If I'm fully engaged in what do I really need um, or what's really, what is the, even the, I'll say it might sound weird to say, but what's the world really need from me? You know, cause my, everybody around me will benefit if I'm really operating on all cylinders, attitudinally, my skills, my talents, my love, all those things. If I'm, if I'm really, if I've taken care of myself, um, then I've got a lot more to give in all domains of my life. If I've not, then, you know, I've got to, then I've really starved myself from uh, the opportunity of friendship, the opportunity of partnering and work, the opportunity of romance. I've starved myself because I've not made myself really present and really made myself really available. So, you know, this is, this is kind of a, I don't know, don't want to be so dramatic about it, but it's really there. I mean, the quality of my experience shows up in this quadrant all the time. And, you know, I, I've got a lot to learn. This is so damn mysterious of when I'm upset. <laughs> it's usually here. It's here. Huh. Um, some dynamic, a lot of my frustration in life happens right here. So anyway, I, I think this is a vital conversation. And, you know, if you've got, if you're if, if listeners, if you're like, if you're living in this kind of, kind of tension and find yourself um, really burnt out, it's probably right here yeah. it's good to talk with someone about that. Now it's not going to get better if you keep investing in that old operating system yeah. and you're so far in it. It's, you don't know how to get out. You know, it's that old adage, like, you know, you got to get out of the box, but the instructions are on the outside. The box. Yeah. Well, you know, the thought, the thinking that tends to get, I get, I've been trapped in, in this area is if I work harder, they'll get that I'm worth more, but they won't give you more till you ask for what you want. Yeah. And it's nobody's fault but yours if you keep working harder and harder or producing greater results. And along the way, don't ask for what those results represent like to you in the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's that's a great final thought, Dan. Thank you for that. All right, gentlemen. This is, this is, yeah, Adrian, I'm right there with you. This is vital, man. This is, uh, this is where results, like results of my life happen. Am I being assertive? Am I asking for what I want? Am I also 
in sometimes, you know, I'm so hyper-focused on what I want and asking for, I want that I forget to see others and, and remain helpful in that process as well. So fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye everybody.